Hello and welcome to Timeless Files, a fan podcast for the TV show Timeless. I'm your host, Chris Butler. This time I'm talking about the episode Space Race. One of the big mysteries of Timeless has been Lucy's journal, which Flynn claims was written by Lucy at some point in her future. Pages from the journal have been seen on screen in earlier episodes of the show, and on those pages we've seen reference to the Apollo 11 moon landing. So I guess it was inevitable that at some point we would see a time jump to 1969. And this is that episode. So, let's fire up the microphone and preamp and get this podcast off the ground. Season 1, Episode 8, Space Race. The episode starts with a scene in the NASA Mission Operation Control Room as the go-no-go decisions are made for the final descent for the moon landing. The caption on screen tells us it's July 20th, 1969. Even knowing that the landing was a success, the scene feels very tense. Timeless episodes generally start by reminding us of the history we know. I guess there's no guarantee that that is always the way the scripts will work, but in this case we do see the successful moon landing. We also see Catherine Johnson watching from outside the control room. Her importance to NASA has received much greater acknowledgement in the last year because of the film Hidden Figures. And it's wonderful that this episode of Timeless came out at about the same time and brought even more public awareness to her contribution. If you haven't seen Hidden Figures, I really recommend it. It's obviously very important to portray Katherine Johnson in an authentic way, because that is a big part of what the episode sets out to do. But as with the Hindenburg episode, and others, this episode has a mix of real and fictional characters. We cut from 1969 back to the present day, Gossier Flynn and Anthony Brule are interviewing Wayne Ellis. He is a fictional character who was shown in the control room in the role of the guidance officer for the moon landing. Getting on for 50 years later, he's now retired. Flynn and Brule are interviewing Ellis under the pretense that they're writing a book about NASA. Flynn is asking about security at NASA on the day of the moon landing. Ellis says... Access was strictly controlled, that he had a new ID badge at the time. So it's obvious that Flynn is going to need one of those badges to gain access to the Mission Control Center. But Ellis doesn't have his anymore. Flynn asks Ellis how long he's lived here. He says he's been in this house all his life. I plan to die here, he says. This gives Flynn all the information he needs. He travels back in time to the same house in 1969 has Ellis killed and steals his access badge. I can imagine there was a conversation in the writer's room about whether they could possibly have Garcia Flynn kill a real person from history here, someone who was really in that control room. I think it would have been disrespectful in a way to do that, so I think it was a good call to substitute in a fictional character here in the form of Wayne Ellis. The special effects are so good in Timeless, on the whole, that it's quite a shock to see a very poor effect shot here. Uh, when the mothership lands at Ellis's house, 
They obviously couldn't afford to assemble the mothership in the grounds of the location they used, or they just chose not to. But it looks like they just photoshopped the mothership into the scene. It's very noticeably not convincing. Thankfully, this is a rare case of an effect shot not really working. Um, normally, the effects are really good in Timeless. Flynn, Brule and a third man move into the house and continue their plans to gain access to NASA. Brule tells Flynn that he needs a punch tape, which is actually a kind of password in this case for the systems at NASA. And the punch tape is held by a company called Lockman Aerospace. Lockman is a fictitious company. Um, but they supposedly have contributed to the manufacture of the LEM the lunar excursion module. Throughout all of this, Brule looks very unhappy. We learn later from Rufus that Anthony supposedly has huge admiration for the NASA people, but clearly he is nevertheless willing to do the things he is doing in support of Flynn. Flynn is also looking at a file on a woman named Maria Tompkins, and he says that she is also at Lockman Aerospace. Given that Flynn is going around killing people, you have to worry for her safety and the way that this information is being presented. Next they call a company called JNF Plumbing, claiming that they have a leaking pipe in the house. Their aim is for Flynn to gain access to Lockman, posing as an employee of the plumbing company. So they kill the man who comes to the house in order to assume his identity. I admit that there are times when Garcia Flynn comes across very sympathetically. And this is partly down to Goran Viznich's charisma as an actor. But this isn't one of those times. What we're seeing here is somebody who is absolutely ruthlessly determined to follow his own agenda and his actions just cannot be easily forgiven however just he might think his actions are back at Mason Industries in the present day Wyatt, Lucy and Rufus speculate on what Flynn intends Lucy says that if Flynn has taken the mothership to this particular date in 1969 then it has to be about NASA and the moon landing Agent Christopher gives them IDs that will get them into NASA. Wyatt's ID places him with the FBI. Lucy is a secretary in the typing pool, which he starts to complain about, until Rufus says the only way they can get him into the control room is as a janitor. Back in 1969, Flynn's man replaces Ellis's photo on the ID badge with Anthony Brule's photo. So it follows that it's Brule who will be going into the NASA facility. Flynn then goes to Lockman Aerospace and does encounter Maria Tompkins there. He compliments her on a technical drawing on her desk and asks for directions to the computer technology department in search of a burst pipe, supposedly. He goes there and obtains the punch tape that Brule needs. His interest in Maria Tompkins is unclear at this stage. We cut to the control room. We're approaching the moment again when Armstrong and Aldrin will be landing on the moon. 
Wyatt and Rufus are in the room this time. Rufus is starstruck to be in the room with men he hugely admires. He name-checks Charles Duke and Gene Kranz, the flight director. The credits are coming up on screen at this point. The episode is written by Matt Whitney. He will also co-write episode 15 later in the series. And he will be back for season 2, episode 3. He has a supervising producer credit on the first season of Timeless. And he has also written for TV series like CSI Cyber and Gossip Girl. The episode is directed by Charles Beeson, who also directed the earlier Atomic City episode. So I guess he's the go-to guy for episodes set in the 1960s. And certainly this episode looks great, just as Atomic City did. Anthony Brule is inside the Mission Control Centre and makes his way to a mainframe computer facility. He loads the punch tape obtained by Flynn and then mounts another tape he has with him into one of the huge tape machines there. The world needs more huge tape machines, I feel. Technology has gone very wrong since the 60s. Brule completes what he's doing and he is leaving when Rufus sees him. Rufus firstly challenges Brule for leaving him stranded in 1754, which is what happened in the Stranded episode. Brule was unaware until this point that Rufus did manage to get home. Brule seems to be a weaselly kind of character. He says it was Flynn's idea. Rufus says he doesn't even care because what Brule is doing here is much worse. How can he do anything to jeopardise the work here at NASA? Rufus grabs the briefcase that Brule is carrying, but Brule has already sabotaged the mainframe and a moment later the control room loses contact with the lunar surface. Brule breaks free and flees, but Rufus at least has the case he's taken from Brule. He meets up with Wyatt and Lucy and they discuss the impact on history of leaving Armstrong and Aldrin stranded on the moon. Lucy says that in our history, the Russians essentially abandoned the space race after America's success. But if the American mission had failed, then Russia would have continued on and potentially would have become much more powerful politically. Inside Brule's case, they find the file on Maria Tompkins. Wyatt decides to look into who she is while Rufus and Lucy will try to figure out what Brule has done to the mainframe. Wyatt gives Rufus a gun. It's a Chekhov's gun moment. If you're going to show the audience a gun, then it's probably going to be fired later on. Garcia Flynn and Anthony Brule talk on the telephone. Flynn is angry that Rufus is involved and not stuck in 1754. Brule assures him that Rufus cannot repair what Brule has done to the mainframe. Flynn asks if he needs to come back to NASA, but Anthony says that what he's doing is too important to interrupt it. We still don't know what Flynn's agenda is regarding Maria Tompkins. He's still at Lockman, and he sees Maria leaving the building and follows her. 
Rufus has accessed a computer terminal and is getting a sense of what Brawl has done. It's essentially a modern day virus. He likens it to a DDoS attack. The computer scientists of 1969 haven't seen anything like that and they have no hope of stopping it. There's a cute reference to a 1202 error here, which is an actual error that occurred during the final descent to the moon. It's funny to see it referenced in the context of what Brule has done and the way that Rufus is talking about it. Rufus tells Lucy he can't understand how Antony of all people could do this. This is a familiar line from Rufus about Antony, but he explains in greater detail how it was Antony who went on the first flight in the time machine. Something went wrong, they barely got him back alive and he was hospitalised for seven months. Rufus sat at his bedside throughout that time and he can't understand how Antony could put Armstrong and Aldrin through something like this. Lucy says this isn't over yet, they can fix it. But Rufus doesn't just need access to the mainframe he says he needs someone who knows how these antiques work and then he realises who he needs to speak to. Someone he calls the smartest person in the building. Rufus explains to Lucy who Catherine Johnson is, a fantastic mathematician who made a, an incredible contribution at NASA. Rufus takes a moment to slate the movie Apollo 13 for not featuring Johnson. I'm not sure that criticism is entirely fair, but certainly it is long overdue for Johnson to receive greater recognition for her work. Lucy and Rufus find Johnson and tell her that the flight director wants to see her. She's immediately suspicious. She's really smart, after all. So Rufus changes tack and tells her they need Johnson's help to save the Apollo 11. She looks at him and says, Really? You're the janitor. A small digression here about writing and storytelling. When you're telling any story, it is really important to think about the point of view that is active in any scene or at any moment in the drama. Whose eyes are we seeing events through? What does that character know? And what are their assumptions and biases? As regular viewers of Timeless, we look at Rufus and we think, there's Rufus, genius engineer, time traveller. But Catherine Johnson looks at Rufus and says, there's the janitor. A lot of beginning writers underestimate the importance of point of view. But if you really think about it, stories and scripts magically become more convincing and more compelling if you have thought about how the different characters are seeing the events that are happening. In film and TV especially, it is tempting to think that your point of view is the camera, but that's only partially true. If you think about what's happening from the different perspectives of each character in the scene, you can often see ways to make the character interactions richer and deeper. Characters start to live and breathe rather than just being empty mannequins who run around chasing the plot. Wyatt arrives at Lockman Aerospace. 
He is told that Maria is a secretary, but she's studying to be an engineer. Wyatt has told Maria's boss that Flynn is a communist spy. He asks where he can find her, and he's told that she sometimes takes her son to the park to play. In the park, we see Flynn approaching Maria. The direction and the music combine to give a feeling of danger, that Flynn is a threat to her. But he just talks to her, tells her she's going to do great things at Lockman someday. He's introduced to her son, Gabriel. Flynn says he's pleased to meet him, and he offers him some ice cream. Meanwhile, Rufus demonstrates to Johnson that he is far more than a janitor by showing her mathematical equations to get the astronauts back from the moon. He convinces her that he can clear the virus and save them if she can help him get access to the mainframe. So she helps them get into the mainframe facility. Rufus and Catherine get to work on it while Lucy is sent back to Catherine's desk to get the punch tape they need. Back at Maria and Flynn, she tells him that her husband was killed in a car crash. He tells her that his wife and daughter were murdered and he never caught the people who did it. He says sometimes he wishes he could let it go. She says if anyone hurt her son, she would go to the ends of the earth to find them and she would never let it go. Her opinion seems to be important to him. She mentions that her son Gabriel is normally shy around strangers, but not so with Flynn, which is a big clue about the real relationship between the three of them. Wyatt arrives and he sees Flynn and Maria, but before he can get out of the car and pursue Flynn, a police officer arrives and tells Wyatt he can't park his car here. And then when he notices Wyatt's gun, he panics and draws his own weapon. There's a tense standoff while Wyatt shows the man his ID which says that he is FBI agent Mulder. Another example of Wyatt, Rufus and Lucy choosing jokey names for their cover identities. By the time Wyatt has diffused the situation, Flynn has disappeared. Catherine is on edge because she's putting a lot of trust in Rufus and if she's wrong to do it, she could easily lose her job. He says he would never do anything to let her down. He gives a really sweet speech about how much she means to him and how important she is. While Lucy has been in the building, she has had several encounters with a man who seems to think women exist only to bring him coffee. She finally loses it when he grabs her arm and she gives him a lecture on how he would not like the coffee she would bring him, how he could easily learn the names of all the women in the building and make his own coffee. The scene is mostly in here for comic effect, which is fair enough. I have no doubt that sexism existed at NASA the same as anywhere else in the 60s. What's telling is that the women of the time are willing to tolerate it, but Lucy certainly isn't. Rufus manages to run the program that will delete the virus from the NASA mainframe. They just need to let that run to completion. But just as they're starting to celebrate, Brawl comes back into the room, along with the third man who arrived in 69 with Flynn and Brawl. Brawl takes a moment to say that it's an honour to meet Catherine, and he tells Rufus it was a smart move going to her. Rufus again challenges Brawl 
How can he do what he's doing to the Apollo astronauts? Brawl says he built the time machine more than Mason did. What he's trying to do is to prevent Rittenhouse from getting their hands on it. That what they will do with it will be far worse than anything he and Flynn are doing. Brule tries to stop the repair to the mainframe that Rufus is running. But Rufus has the gun that Wyatt gave him. He grabs Brule and threatens him with it. But when the other man tries to take a shot at him, Rufus turns his gun on that man and kills him. Brule has been telling Flynn that Rufus isn't good under pressure and has generally been dismissive of him. Brule looks completely shocked that Rufus has just killed a man. Some other NASA technicians come back into the room and Brawl makes his escape. Rufus and Lucy also leave, just as Rufus's program to remove the virus completes successfully. In the mission operation control room, communications are restored and everyone celebrates, including Johnson. She gets a round of applause from the whole room. It's interesting to note that Rufus has mentioned time travel in front of Johnson but we'll never know what she would think about that. We cut to Wyatt, who is talking to Maria. She can't believe Flynn was a communist spy, as Wyatt is claiming. She says Flynn seemed so kind. On her TV set, Armstrong is walking on the moon, and she wants her son to see it. She goes to find him, but sees Flynn is injecting something into her son with a syringe. In panic, she runs towards them, but Flynn tells her he has just saved her son. Gabriel was having an allergic reaction to a bee sting. Flynn says every memory he has of Maria, she was always sad. Having lost his own child, he couldn't let her lose hers. Wyatt can't shoot Flynn without hitting Maria, and he has to take cover as Flynn shoots at him. The boy Gabriel recovers completely. Flynn makes his escape. Wyatt races after him and fires shots at his car, but Flynn gets away. Back at Mason Industries, Agent Christopher has an unredacted file on Garcia Flynn. They learn that Maria Tompkins is Garcia Flynn's mother. In the original timeline, her first son Gabriel was killed by the bee sting. Later she married a man named Asher Flynn and had a second child, which was Garcia Flynn. Lucy can't believe it. She hasn't been able to save her own sister. Wyatt hasn't been able to save his wife. But Flynn has casually restored his half-brother to life. And Gabriel is now alive and well and living in Paris. Agent Christopher assures Lucy again that as soon as they stop Flynn she will find a way to save Lucy's sister. But there's a strong sense of the unfairness of what's happened. Lucy finds Rufus later and asks him if he's okay. Because he's killed a man. And that's a big thing for Rufus to have done. At first he says he's fine, that he doesn't feel anything. But then that seems to strike him that it's not a normal reaction and he worries about what kind of man he's becoming. The friendship between Lucy and Rufus can sometimes be underestimated or unacknowledged compared with the friendship between Lucy and Wyatt. 
Nevertheless, it is there, and scenes like this one remind us of that. And the episode ends with Lucy and Rufus sitting quietly together. There was no sign of Mason or Gia in this episode. I suspect that was more about scheduling the filming more than anything, because they had such prominent roles in episode 7, the stranded episode. I think Space Race is a terrific episode. The script is great, it's well paced, well acted. The recreation of the 60s is brilliant. The people at NASA are treated with great respect. Everyone in the control room is shown as being dedicated and professional. And it is properly respectful towards Katherine Johnson too. Until now we've been told that Flynn's motivation is to stop Rittenhouse because they killed his family. But we get a different perspective from Brawl now, where he's saying for him it's about stopping Rittenhouse from getting the time machine. And Lucy and Rufus have heard that direct from Brawl himself. That's all for this episode. Next time I'll be looking at episode 9, Last Ride of Bonnie and Clyde. Until then, all the podcasts so far are available at timelessfiles.podbean.com or in all the usual podcasting places including iTunes, Stitcher and TuneIn. And you can find me on Twitter at, at @timelessfiles. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. <laughs>